Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me, producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in Season 10. Our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links. In our foreign language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Letters from Iwo Jima. We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Member bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, Year of the Dragon, Eight Million Ways to Die, Talk Radio, and Born on the Fourth of July. Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh my god, it even has a watermark. And of course, more Stephen King with The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series. Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page. That's thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. Hey, everybody. The episode you're about to hear is our conversation about Lynn Shelton's 2009 film, Hump Day. 
the story of two men who essentially dare each other to collaborate on an entry into an amateur adult film festival. Just a warning that our conversation hits on a number of topics dealing with this subject that you may not want to play around young ears. If that's the case, you might want to stop now and circle back to this episode down the road. Thanks. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Hump day is over. Can I get a get out of jail free card? Yo, yeah. I'm Ben. I'm Andrew. We're old friends from college, but we've kind of gone down different roads. Ben is Mr. Motorcycle Adventuring Man. I've been living in San Cristobal de las Casas down in Chiapas, Alabama. Where? I have a really nice house and wife and stuff. The funny thing was, we were drunk when we first came up with the idea, and then it evolved into this weird straight guy macho thing. It shouldn't be about us I'm challenging not. each other. Give me the food! It's on. It's on. You said you were going to tell her, and she said she knew, and then I just talked about it, and I guess she didn't know. I cannot believe I'm talking to you about making a porn film with him! You're pretty solidly not gay. Yeah, I think the same thing about you, too. <laughs> we might have to impose the pretty woman rule. No kissing. This is weird. You're not as Kerouac as you think you are, even though you've got the headband on. I love you. There is nothing that I want to do less yeah. than what we're talking about doing. Ready? Ready? Five. Four, three, two, one. Yeah, that was awful. Dude, that was awful. Um, this is going to be hard. Yeah, that puts a little wrench in the works, doesn't it? So, Pete, have you heard about these membership plans we have over at The Next Reel? Membership plans? Tell me more. For just $1 a month, practically nothing, you can become a One Reeler member and get access to member channels over on Discord. But I'm already a member on Discord. Yeah, but you only get access to some of the channels. Okay, so what's on these member channels? Oh, you know that Saturday matinee show? The one that I get every Monday, where the hosts talk about news and new trailers and play movie-related games and challenge each other with their list of films related somehow to the films reviewed that week? That's the one. Members get access to the Show Talk channel, where they can vote on the lists each week. You mean there's a vote? I love voting. Mom always said, vote early, vote off. Now, if you bump your membership up to the two-reeler tier, which costs a measly $5 a month, it's practically the same you'd pay for one of those fancy coffee drinks, you get so much more. What more could there be? Well, two-reelers not only get everything the one-reelers get... That's a given. But they also get access to live streams to watch shows when they actually record or anytime thereafter. You mean I have to stop doing this in my bathrobe? Two-reelers also get to be a part of a pre-show chat with hosts before every film board episode. I like it. I like it. Two-reelers get every show before regular listeners and without ads. You mean I don't have to sit through this? Count me in! But the best benefit of all, members get bonus member-only episodes. I love that. It's an exciting time to be alive. What can I say? So how do I sign up? It's easy. Just head to thenextreel.com slash membership. 
thenextreel.com slash membership. Thenextreel.com slash membership. Access to member channels and Discord, early access to shows, access to live streams, and member bonus episodes. Sign up today. Okay, Andy. Lynn Shelton. Lynn Shelton. May she rest in peace. Yeah, that is really sad. It's uh, sadly like almost a year to the day when we're recording this that she passed away um, from just, you know, a horrible sounding type of rare blood cancer called acute myeloid leukemia. Ah, it just sounds mean. Yeah, it is a. is a tough, uh, tough thing. And she was 54 and she had, you know, uh, done, I don't know, nine, 10 films and, uh, you know, had acted a number of times too. And, um, and in fact, a lot of TV, I think she had done a lot of TV work as well. And, um, yeah. And then that happened and sadly we lost her and she's a person that I had heard her name. I had, um, heard people talking about her as part of like the the new indie scene, like the whole mumblecore movement and everything. But I hadn't seen anything of hers. Yeah, I had seen her perform, like I saw her in Safety Not Guaranteed, but I had never actually seen any of her films. So, you know, we cut. I, I and I can't remember. Had you seen anything of hers? She did, you know, she did a couple of episodes of Glow. I didn't really count those. And I'm not, I don't know Glow very well. So I'm not sure if I've seen the episodes that she directed. She did a Mad Men episode. You know, I never, I never did. Uh, oh, I thought I you never did Mad Men. Oh, you did. Yeah. Mm-mm. I did one episode and I was like, oh, what's all the noise about? Mm-mm. Move on. The most, the thing she directed the most episodes of was Fresh Off the Boat, which oh, uh, I, uh, New Girl. I've seen all the episodes that she directed of New Girl, and that okay. I, I really enjoyed that show a lot. Uh, and okay. it totally fits yeah. <laughs> with her, uh, with what she, with her vibe. Um, but no, I have not seen any other movies. This was the first time I, I uh, have seen anything of hers, was Hump Day, and, um, that was it. What is it? What do we know about this mumblecore thing? Like I, everything I, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the word. And everything I've heard is the people who are associated with mumblecore also don't like being associated with mumblecore. Well, yeah, it's one of those things where the term itself started 2005, South by Southwest. There were a number of films that were being screened there. Um, Bajalski, Andrew Bajalski, who has been kind of called the godfather of mumblecore, all kind of going back to his very first film in 2002 called Funny Ha Ha, which is kind of considered the first mumblecore film. His second film, Mutual Appreciation, screened in 2005 at South by Southwest, along with The Puffy Chair, which uh, Mark and Jay Duplass did, and Kissing on the Mouth by Joe Swanberg. Those three films were screened there, and they were, you know, talking at a bar one night with uh, a sound editor named Eric Masunaga, um, who had worked with Bajalski and he, and someone asked him to describe the similarities between those three films and coined the term mumblecore that night. And it kind of became this thing. And, you know, but yeah, you're right. The filmmakers have largely downplayed it. It's not like a movement. It's not something that these filmmakers are all seeking to do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of these things where, I mean, it's, it's really largely become just kind of the indie film scene is, is what it is, you know, but mumblecore it's generally characterized. The acting is very naturalistic. The dialogue is naturalistic. Sometimes it's improvised. Generally they're very low budget film productions. The 
emphasis is usually on dialogue over plot. The focus is on personal stories of people in their 20s and 30s. And I mean, the naturalism, though, is really a big feature of them. And, you know, the plots often are just about, you know, romantic relationships, uh, people having a hard time with romantic relationships, usually exacerbated by exacerbated by the character's inability to articulate their own desires. So I, I think that it it sounds a lot like kind of what indie film was in the 90s and the and the you know and it kind of continued into the 2000s it's just it 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 really is the type of storytelling that focused on people and kind of very personal stories rather than doing something a little more fancy like you know like a reservoir dogs type of indie film but yeah i mean dana stevens who's a film critic over at slate um had this to say about mumblecore he said it's a word i dislike both for its condescension and its inaccuracy far from mumbling the overeducated middle class protagonists of such movies are usually articulate to a fault so <laughs> yeah i i agree with that i mean nothing nothing in this movie indicates a that the characters are mumbling or b that there is bad audio <laughs> like it's just it's fine it's just fine it reminds me of the brat pack right it's an easy moniker to group people around a set of behaviors that you kind of think you understand but is really not fair and not sufficient uh it's a play on on the Rat Pack, which had its own thing. Like, don't steal that thing. It'd be another. This, as a descriptor of the independent film uh, sort of genre, is, I think, insufficient. Uh, and I, I agree, condescending. I don't like it. I don't care for it. Well, and theoretically, it's over. It la yeah. lasted from about 2002 to 2010 because the original filmmakers started working with bigger budgets, bigger storylines. Even as we go through Lynn Shelton's stories, I think only her first or the, the first two that we're covering, this one and our next one, are actually considered mumblecore if you look at a list. But mumblecore films, I mean, anything after 2010 is kind of considered post-mumblecore. So it still is happening. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting exploration in just indie storytelling. And I guess that's what we're looking at here yeah. with Lynn Shelton's work. That will be interesting to see how it evolves over the five films that we're going to cover in this series. This is a an exceedingly packed Northwest movie. I I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I know these people. I definitely been in their house. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, this this felt like home. There was just enough flannel to make me feel really comfortable. How did how did it hit you the movie? Well, it's, it's funny that you said that because yes, it's Seattle, but it does feel very much. Um, I mean, like when I've visited you up in the Portland area, it feels very much all of that same. Yeah type of of area and in fact you know having gone to school in boulder that was the other thing i'm like when <laughs> when did they right. go to the dionysus party uh, you know in my in the notes i wrote oh this totally feels like the pacific northwest i'm like uh you know it actually feels probably more like probably boulder at least like to boulder me, yeah. yeah it's like this i feel like i went to this party probably yeah, at one you, point you did college. you went to that party we wrote that party up you and me <laughs> yeah right exactly exactly <laughs> it's it's an interesting film i actually it's a film about um, friendship and um, I guess you could say an exploration of manliness and and the idea of what it is to, you know, to kind of be a man and just kind of the ideas of of how friendship can can hit these points where you're feeling a little 
um, you have this ego that's kind of sticking you to these deals that you've made and things like that. And it's an interesting film. I, I'm, I, from what I've read about Lynn Shelton's films, they, there are certainly some better and some worse than where we're starting. I think this was an interesting place to start though. And actually I, I enjoyed the film. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the way it, it's portrayed. I didn't love it. I think there are elements with it that I ended up having issues with, but I, the thing that I really, that stuck with me is that I felt is, these characters, like they, they felt very authentic to me. I, I really enjoyed them. Even Andrew, who I really, didn't like at the start of the film. By the time we got, you know, partway through the film, I started feeling for him a little bit. And so while I never connected with him as a character, I certainly felt more empathy with him as a character. What about you? I think his arc was the most interesting. I actually messaged you and told you that I'm, it was making like his introduction to the movie in the first 15 minutes was making me itch all over. Like I didn't, I was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. I actually was playing. It was just as cringy as you could, as, as you could make it for me really uncomfortable, like watching their relationship and particularly the interruption of, um, you know, of Ben and Anna's marriage and, you know, that, that sort of, authenticity that was already being communicated even in those first few minutes but i think andrew's arc is is the most interesting of all of them i ended up really hating ben at the end i think he was just a just a whelp in every relationship that he had uh, i felt enormous sorrow for anna and uh compassion for andrew i don't know if that was the intention but my goodness i i felt like um Anna should more likely divorce Ben and move on uh, by the end of the movie. I ended up feeling slightly frustrated with that. I mean, I actually really liked the conversation that she had with him when the truth comes out and they have to kind of, they have this conversation. Like, I, I really liked the way that conversation went. It felt honest. It felt like, you know, you got to figure this out because we can't move forward if you don't. Like, I really enjoyed that. I also had a problem with it because I felt like, they had a moment in there where she starts talking about this moment where she was, I don't know, she was out visiting a friend or something. And they went to a party and she ended up making out with somebody and she felt like really bad about the whole thing. And I couldn't help but feel like that was there just so we as the audience felt like, OK, it's OK now. Yes. A hundred percent. That was frustrating to me that that was included. There are a number of conversations in here that I find frustrating on that very point. I hate it when it feels like the the film is uh, trying to obscure the objective with discomfort, right? Or to provide a salve for us to answer our discomfort with uh, with that sort of balance. And and in some respects, like, you know, the, the whole nature of these hard conversations they have, I'm a pretty great husband, can I get a get-out-of-jail-free card? Uh, at 37 minutes, um, when they just don't understand one another, it, it was just interminable. Like, these conversations were it, they never ending and completely obscured their uh, their objective in in the scene. It, nothing felt natural in the first two acts of this film. I really felt like it was uh, it was wildly overwritten or over improvised to get us to the third act. And I really struggled with that. I mean, it was like forehead slapping some of these conversations that that uh, uh, Ben is having with everybody involved. It was way overdone and unnatural to my ear. And so, um, you know, by the time we get to that that scene where she sort of frees him of his obligations, she's that scene is trying to carry the water of 
45 minutes of discomfort that Ben has created by not being able to authentically lie and not being able to authentically, like, live. Like, everything he's doing is just sub. Uh, and I was, I was crazy by the end of it. And what is really bizarre in that entire arc is that I found the third act redeeming. I really enjoyed these two guys muscling through their relations with one another and trying to figure out one, how to have sex and two, how to not have sex. Like that was a complicated uh, human conversation that felt like uh, where was that in the first part of this movie? You know, like I just got this feeling that we have this great idea for the third act of a movie. Now, how do we write ourselves there? That's what this movie felt like to me architected to get to the joke well it's funny because i think i I, i'd say the we have a good first part too at the party when they when they make this decision like i actually thought that was architected pretty well because i actually ended up believing it like the way that they played that scene about this is the one where they're they're, they realize when they're trying to like outbro each other with sensitivity (laughs) well they're at the party and they're like coming up with this idea of you know let's enter because they're at the dionysus party this is where they're uh the these this new art crowd that andrew suddenly came upon and is hanging out with they're talking about the hump fest and this this which is an amateur porn film festival and the, how different in people in it in uh, i thought it was in the seattle area but it's somewhere up oh there. maybe it's in seattle yeah All but right. they're they're talking about um entering and different people are talking about what they want to do and stuff and yeah and we have andrew and ben kind of trying to one-up each other almost as they're trying to come up with like the ultimate art entry and it it, and the way that that evolves and the way that they're like almost daring each other to do it and i I, like i ended up buying it i i actually bought into all of that and the discomfort the next day like i i thought that all was really strong like i i it felt very believable to me i i think so because that whole vibe i mean i i could put myself in that experience of being at a party like that and of having such strong feelings about something so ridiculous. Like, yeah, and, and the, you know, you're drunk or high yeah, or whatever the case right, may be. Right. Yeah, you feel very strongly about Very strongly about things, things that really nobody should feel that strongly about uh, at any point. And, and the fact that that moment ties to the end where Ben says, let me just check our logic on this. What makes this art? I thought that was... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the funniest line in the movie, maybe unintentionally so. I don't know, but I was howling because that that really captures uh, the the entire sentiment. I think really, really well. It it's the architecture of stuff in between, right? Uh, that that I I really struggle with because I it didn't to me feel feel natural or human. And I know one of the the sort of elements of this sort of film, and I, I don't know that about this one, it's just how heavily scripted versus improvised it is. Um, this felt like either A, overwritten uh, as a scripted element, or B, under-edited as an Im- improvised element, right? Many of these conversations that sort of happened between Ben and, and Andrew and Ben and Anna, um, they they all felt like out of balance to what I needed to kind of keep the story moving along, with the exception of what you just said at the party, 
too, when Andrew and Anna are drinking together, I was uh, I was really torn by that because it felt like, good Lord, are we having a Scooby-Doo almost conversation? Like, let's just get on with it. But I felt like Anna's performance at the end of that scene so just leveled me uh, that that was OK. And then um, three, their their sort of ramble toward, you know, approval. It's just under edited or overwritten. I don't think I had quite the same issue with you. I, I I actually enjoyed most of that. I think the the issue for me, and from what I heard, just to follow up on your comment, I, from what I heard, most of this was improvised. And it's not like they're improvising on set. I think that they're kind of probably working together as actors and the director ahead of time trying to come up with what are they going to talk about and everything and, and really right. kind of shape shape the script that they're actually going to perform the day of because obviously they didn't have a lot of money to make this thing i i think that for me the conversations largely worked and i think i think my frustrations were just that i really felt like and it's funny because i think i agree with you largely that andrew is the character that i really end up caring more for as the film progresses and ben is the character i care less about as it's not that i care less about him but i'm more disappointed and angry with him as the film wears on because i i think there are a number of times he's having these conversations about his relationship with his wife and i'm just like i feel like he's that guy who sees his marriage in a certain way because he's always saying things like oh anna she's totally she's totally going to be the type of girl who would do this we have a great relationship like the way he's always spinning their marriage yeah i think that that says a lot about who he is and when you see him setting up the dinner and and making these plans with Anna to talk to her about the whole thing and then never actually really going through with it it's just like i I think that Ben, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I found him to be, I mean, he's an interesting character because he just, he doesn't stick like almost like Andrew. He's not sticking with any of this stuff. And he's, he's painted a vision in his head as to what, what he has and how great it all is. But I think that he's also like, you know, maybe internally playing it up without actually being aware of what's going on. And so, as his character was making these decisions and saying these sorts of things and throwing things out like, you know, I'm a great husband. Can I get a jail, get out of jail free card? I was like, oh my, you are just the worst. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, this guy just does not have uh, a strong sense of this relationship. And, and, uh, I hope that she's smart because by the end of it, I'm just like, I, I wouldn't want to be with him. <laughs> so it was, it was an interesting journey. Yeah. 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 I, you know, it's interesting too. How much do you think the challenges that we have here are are in any way performative challenges? Like, I found myself questioning Mark Duplass in this role. Like, I just found I couldn't I couldn't figure out. Do I just not believe him? Could another actor have have convinced me that that, you know, of of his insecurities better than Mark Duplass did. And I love Mark Duplass. I think he is fantastic uh, as an as an actor, as a performer. He's a very talented guy. Um, but this one, I really, I, I struggled and I wondered, maybe it's just a casting thing. I didn't have that issue. So I wonder if it's just something with you. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to recast this podcast? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that is, but maybe Mark Duplass would be better on my seat. <laughs> No, I just I I didn't have that issue. And I like I mean, I, I think 
of the performances, I would probably say, yes, he probably was my, my least favorite of the three. Like I really enjoyed Anna. I think she's by far my favorite performer in the film and Andrew. I, I, and, but again, I think a lot of that falls to the way that their characters move through the story. And I just feel, I don't, I don't know, the way that I came out of it is that I like Ben the least. I was, I was most disappointed in him as a person. And so I don't think I, I put that on Mark Duplass and his performance. I, for me, it felt like that's how they structured the script. And so I, I felt like I was supposed to not care as much about him by the time we get to the end. This, that's a really uh, great point because so much of, of the setup of Ben's character is ideologically high for us as an audience, right? He's the yeah. guy, they're having a fun conversation in bed, feels very authentic and human as a married couple. They're both really tired. They, trying to have sex and it just doesn't go and they laugh about it in bed and those are fun moments and they're very human and Andrew shows up and he's at the very bottom right he's the obnoxious friend who shows up in the middle of the night and disrupts everything the grand disruptor and so over the course of the film those two you know switch places uh, for me and I'm not sure that was intended I don't know that I believe that was the intended thing I think you know, maybe we should have left with both of these characters in sort of high esteem. Everybody's learned something and moved on and and been for the better. I ended up not feeling that way. I felt like Ben was the character I cared least about. And Andrew was a character I really, I really loved by the end. I don't know. I'm torn on if we were supposed to feel that or not, because it just feels like that was the journey that we ended up taking with the film. And I mean, it's interesting because we do have a really great character moment between Ben and Andrew in that hotel room as they're trying to figure out what to do. And they're debating with themselves and they're laying in bed and they're talking and they're getting embarrassed. And they're like, you know, can we just put our clothes on and keep talking? You know, like they, there's a lot of moments that they have throughout all of this that I, I felt really authentic. And I really enjoyed that connection between those two characters as they kind of go through this and figure out, what is all of this, you know, and, and, and Ben has that, that conversation about that, uh, fantasy he had when he was younger and Andrew kind of plays that off like, oh, well, you know, I've never had anything like that. And part of me is like, has he, and he's just afraid to admit it. Like, where's, is there something going on here? And I don't know. I just really enjoyed the way that all of that played out. And then the way that Ben kind of, you know, just like, I'm taking off. I got to go see if I can, you know, manage to heal anything with my wife. And I just, I don't know. I really enjoyed that conversation. And so by the time we get to the end, I really enjoyed everything with these two characters. And at the same time, I also felt like, you know, Ben really kind of was probably in a place where he screwed up a lot of stuff. And, um, uh, I, I, you know, despite the fact that I'm frustrated with the fact they included this bit about Anna having had this moment and that essentially was the director's, the writer director's get out of jail free card <laughs> for the character, which annoys me still. I, yeah. God, the more we, the more we talk about it, I hate it. I hate it. Andy, it just, it's so frustrating. Let him suffer for the way he is treating his marriage, not necessarily yeah. his wife. Although he has issues treating his wife, he he's di- like his, this entire the way he is communicating is disrespectful to you know to the relationship, and I think that's he has to own the damage, and I think her having that experience in the film abdicates that his responsibility, and I I can't stand it. 
It's really frustrating. And I think all of these things, like I feel strongly about all these things. And that's a credit, I think, generally to the film. Like it makes me want to armchair it a little bit. Like it's, I, I think there are some, there are some interesting observations that go on here about, about masculinity and about friendship between guys. Like these guys love each other very much. And, you know, for some guys, those relationships end with, hey, I, I love you so much, I want to have sex with you. And it's also okay to love another guy and not have sex with them. And that watching these guys wrestle with that, like the difference between being great friends and being friends who run into each other at a pool and hug without their shirts <laughs> on. And that's really funny. Like that ends up being really funny and heartwarming and powerful. And uh, I, I think so. So I, I wanted the movie to have earned that better. I think that's the bottom line for me. Yeah, and, and and perhaps it's also like I felt a little unsure about how it came to an end. I I couldn't help yes. but think should there have been more? Did I need more? Would I have been more satisfied if we see Ben get home and Anna has left? Well, okay, that's this is really important. So the, the last I want you to talk about this because the last so Ben leaves and the, his last words are I'm going to pick you up tomorrow we're going to do something awesome. Ben leaves, Andrew is left there. He's we watch him kind of get dressed and then he pulls all his stuff together in a little bit of an uh sort of an anxiety hurry and he picks up the camera that they filmed some of their kind of pre-stuff, you know, they're kind of in the mirror, they're clothes talking about clothes and he starts laughing and then the film is over. So yeah. what happened? I felt very left uh, kind of hanging because I'm like, okay, he's enjoying the comedy of the whole situation now. He's able to kind of step out of it and see how silly all of it was. Is he going to submit it still and maybe actually finish an art project? As he said, he's never finished anything. Is this finally his chance to finish something? And that's the, that's the, why it becomes art because they never actually go through with it. Does it become something? And I, or, or not. And does he just leave and decide to go do something else? And I just felt like for me, it felt like Shelton wasn't sure how to end the film. You know, it was the whole concept of this this idea that these two characters have of entering into this amateur porn festival, not following through. And that's the story, but it just, it, I don't know. It left me wanting to have a little more wrap up or closure or something. The The movie ended with me concerned about both of these guys, right? I'm worried about Ben and his marriage, mostly worried about Anna and her marriage. Uh, it, and it left me worried about Andrew that he, didn't accomplish the thing he, you know, he said, I just was another thing he didn't finish and that he's going to be left with that. And he's laughing at the, at sort of the memory of that, that he, he and his best friend created that, you know, is unrequited. But does that laugh equate to resolution for him or just sort of that sort of hollow, sorrowful, like unrequited satisfaction. I I don't know. I don't. I was worried about these guys. It it, it was an unsatisfying ending to me. It, it wasn't that sort of oh, I can fill in the blanks with what ended in my head and be resolved with the uncertainty at the end of the film. It was I'm worried about these guys. This didn't give me enough. I felt for a while, I was like, the way that he seemed to have such anxiety after Ben left and he was like packing his stuff quickly. I'm like, he's either going to, is he going to run off and like go kill himself? Kill himself. Yeah. Is he going to, is he finding a place where he's just like fleeing? Because I mean, his life has, 
you know, he always kind of paints it like he's the adventurer. He's running off and exploring Machu Picchu and, and doing all these things down in Mexico and all these different things that he's talking about doing. Is he just going to keep running? And I thought that would have actually been an interesting decision for that character to say, you know what, I'm not ready to make something to settle or do anything. I, I have to keep running because it's the only thing I know how to do and actually have him flee and go run some more. I mean, that would have been a very dark ending, but it would have at least given me a sense of, you know, the decision that he's made. And here I just, I never felt like anything was decided and it ended up being a little frustrating for me. And that would have been consistent to what we already know about his character. We already have a, a sequence in which he is uh, about to get busy with, um, uh, with Monica and her lover Lily right. in a threesome, and he they're kissing and everything's progressing, and then he accidentally feels some sex toys that Lily has brought to the bed, and they have this conversation about you know you know their use of sex toys in their relationship together, and he is wildly intimidated by that, stands up and leaves, and I think uh Josh Leonard plays that incredibly well like he's he is yeah, um yeah. really damaged and insecure as he's getting his his clothes on and uh walks out the door and leaves these two women you know just kind of wondering what do we do now you know and i i think him running away from that in the context of his character he's all show on the outside like he's got this he's he's just so big his world is so big but on the inside he is a very small insecure person who hasn't who hasn't actually accomplished these sort of emotional heights that that um you know that maybe Ben imagines himself as having already you know climbed right and i mean i think that's there was a line that Ben said at some point in the film that actually i think worked really well where he was just like you know you're not as Jack Kerouac as you think you are, and I'm not as white picket fence as uh, I seem to be, or something like that. As you think I am. As you think I am. And I thought that was actually a pretty interesting look at these two guys. And and yeah, I think that's what happens is, as you go through life, you start kind of creating this version of yourself that you want to be, or that you're trying to be, whether you really get there or not. And I think that was pretty interesting. And I think I think that was, for me, part of what was interesting about the film from Ben's perspective, because when it did come out, he's just like, I, I don't know why, but I feel like I have to go through with this. And I think it was because he, you know, kind of just like Andrew, he was terrified of being labeled the white picket fence guy who settled. And it and it's like, I have to I have to do this now. I have to go through with this thing. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And so those sorts of things I think work really well in the film. It's just there are elements that that kind of keep it from ever kind of excelling as much as I really wanted it to. Another interesting element of conflict for me is Anna's conversation. Again, back to the conversation we both don't like. Uh, she has this line where she says, I think you need to go figure this out before we have a baby. And there's something about that that always struck me sideways a little bit, because I think what she is is measuring this whole experience against her character is he might be gay and might learn that he doesn't want to be married to me anymore because he wants to have a homosexual relationship instead. And yeah. we should know that before we have a child together. I don't think that was ever in the offing in, in this relationship. I really do think authentically that Ben and Andrew uh, wrap themselves up into this cockamamie, um, you know, 
outgrowing each other vulnerability um, knot, and their marriage was never at stake. Does that does that ring any bells for you? Well, I think I think there was some sense of it because I, I don't know from Anna's perspective. I certainly think so because I mean, if if all of a sudden you were in a relationship and your spouse said, "Oh, I'm going to be doing this thing," it's just art, you know. <laughs> I think it would it might make you question: Do I need to be worrying about something here? You know, and so oh, I totally think she, from her perspective, that's what I mean. I totally think she's she's legit. Like, okay, we would be worried about that. But you're saying from his perspective, from his perspective, I don't think there was ever any risk. I don't think so. I don't think so. But I think the I think the I think the reason that he's doing it is not for those explorations. I think he's he's doing it because it is that sense of I need to be more than the white picket fence guy who settled. And the but but I I I don't. Yeah, I, I think from his perspective. It was never about, you know, a decision of, am I going to stay in this marriage or not? But unfortunately, it doesn't translate that way when you're in a relationship with another person yeah. who's not seeing it that way. And that's, I think, what what makes that situation interesting is that, you know, he does and he never recognizes that. And that's why I think the ending is a little bit of a disappointment when she lets him off the hook, essentially. And then we never actually get to any sense of finality with, you know, what's going to happen now other than him saying, I think I really screwed things up with Anna. Like, that's really kind of where we leave things. And he goes off to try making amends. Yeah. Weird. I'm left unsettled by this movie. I think that's the bottom line. I, I think that it still works for me. I, I I have issues with it for sure, but I like the journeys that the characters go on, particularly Andrew. I really liked Anna. I, I thought her character journey over the course of this with those conversations, one, the, the dinner that, that Ben sets up where he never is courageous enough to say what he needs to say Two, when she's having drinks with Andrew and they're laughing things up. And then she realizes what actually is going to happen. And then three, the conversation she has with, with uh, Ben afterward, I thought that was all really interesting. And, and that made me Alicia Delmore. Like I was just really impressed with what she did here because I thought, you know, if there's a core strength of this film, it's her as Anna. I really just enjoyed that. So I enjoyed the characters. The film, I I, I want to see more out of Lynn Shelton. I, I felt like the, this is the sort of indie film that someone makes to get noticed, and it certainly worked, right? You're making mm-hmm. a film about straight guys who are going to enter an amateur porn contest making a gay film. Sure, that's exactly the sort of thing that strikes a chord at film festivals and makes, you know, gets you noticed. And so I totally get that. I just, I, I think early on in his, in her career, and it's not her first film. I think this actually was her, uh, fourth film. I just, I'm not that familiar with I, the other ones. I think they were all even mumblier core, perhaps, <laughs> you know, or just, you know, just weren't the, weren't the ones getting noticed. We go way back what the funny and my effortless brilliance. Uh, but this is the one where she kind of really kind of popped and, and turned into somebody that would lead her to kind of the rest of these films. So 
Um, so I'm glad that she was able to do that. I, and I'm certainly curious to see some more of her films after this. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I, I think you're exactly right. Pegging this is at this place in her career. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how she sort of grows. Um, I, I am, um, really excited with you about Alicia Delmore. Um, and uh, it looks like she's, you know, she's done a bunch of stuff and doesn't seem like anything really broke for her uh in terms of a, a a bigger career um but she's she's in a lot of shorts and series and uh, i i would like to see her again i think her reaction at the table after their drinking conversation is a real high point in this movie for her just performance straight up i mean i was I, like just all the air got sucked out of my chest when she's smiling and says, wait a minute, uh, to Andrew with a smile on her face and screams with rage, uh, you know, to call for Ben from the other room. And he comes in, what happened? What happened? What happened? And honestly, actually, I want to call out uh, Mark Duplass in that scene, too, because being confronted with the fact that you had just, you know, uh, been lying and that sense of confusion and wonder on his face with how do I get out of this? He was awesome. I absolutely can relate to that feeling over the years. And I, I really bought it. I, I felt like that, that sort of relationship quandary standing there in the kitchen and Andrew too. Um, when he explains the whole Scooby-Dooness of it, I thought you talked, you said you talked to her. I thought you talked to her. And then I said it and she didn't know. It turns out she died. that that was a great, <laughs> great, great bit. Yeah. Um, so I'm with you. I think there I, I think there's there are some great performances uh, in an uneven film. And I'm looking forward to more. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's it's a film I'm glad I saw. You know, I, I think it's an interesting one. Certainly not one to watch with the kiddies or anything like that. But it's uh, an interesting enough film that uh, is a I think it's a good exploration of kind of this whole idea of the quote mumblecore type of filmmaking, which, you know, just kind of indie personal storytelling. And I think, I think she succeeds um, well enough at this point. Yeah. Uh, camera, Benjamin Kasulki, cinematographer, uh, was behind the camera on safety, not guaranteed and banana split, which has been a, which was a, um, he, he directed banana split, which was a trailer rewind uh, pick not long ago. Well, and he is, he's worked with, uh, with Lynn since the beginning, since we go way back in 2006, yeah. uh, they had worked together on, let's see, I don't, I don't think it's everything, but it's certainly most of her films they worked together on. He's done a, a lot of stuff uh, beyond just working with her, but I, I have to tell you, one of the surprise uh, films in his catalog I did not expect to see here is Between Two Ferns, the movie. I laughed hard at that movie. I can't believe it. I can't believe they made a movie that made me laugh about that concept, but that one worked. Um, never saw Room 104. He was uh, uh, behind, he was a, a writer on Room 104, um, which I've heard good things about on HBO. Yeah, he's, I mean, very much an indie person. I think that that largely defines kind of the work that he does. Yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he works with Lynn over the rest of um, the films that we talk about. And what did you think of the music, Vinny Smith? You know, it was sporadic. It kind of popped in once in a while, and I was like, "Okay, interesting music." I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's terrible. I kind of thought it was fine. He also was the sound designer and sound mixer for the film, so definitely worked on the soundscape yeah. overall. I think that it fit. It just gave enough little bits here and there to just kind of give it little bursts of energy. 
It's very moody. It's very sort of late Elliot Smith uh, moody. Uh, I I liked it a lot. It's my taste, and so um, you know I've got a I've got a lot of this kind of thing in my catalog. So uh, it it felt at home. And we'll hear more of his music next week on the next film we talk about. Yeah, sequel. I is it strange that there are sequels and remakes to this movie? This didn't feel like a sequely remakey uh, kind of candidate to me. Well, I always say you know the one film the films that are most that should be the ones that are more likely to be remade or adapted are ones that it's like, it's there. It's close. They're getting there, but they never quite get there. And so I was like, yeah, so I, I'm happy when I see things like this that get made. It was remade in France as a comedy in 2012 directed by Yvonne Attal starring Attal and Francois Clouzet. And I don't know how it did, but uh, you know, Charlotte Gainsbourg, is in it. So I, I feel like they maybe had a little bit more of a, kind of a, a budget behind it and everything. This is one um, I'm curious to watch for sure. Um, yeah. Again, to see, did they make it? And does it, is this a story that might play better in French? Yeah, I wonder. I don't know. I wonder. I wonder. Indeed. How to do it award season? Very much in the indie circles. Six wins, seven other nominations. At Con, it interestingly uh, was nominated, or Lynn Shelton was nominated for the CICAE Award, and that's the International Confederation of Art House Cinemas, uh, but lost to Javier Dolan for I Killed My Mother. At the Film Independent Spirit Awards, she won the John Cassavetes Award, which is their award they present to a creative team of films budgeted at less than 500000 and so she did win that award at Sundance. She won a special jury prize for the Spirit of Independence. And the film was nominated for the jury prize, the grand jury prize, but lost to Precious. And at South by Southwest, Lynn Shelton was nominated the Emerging Woman Award, but lost to Judith Krant for Made in China, who interestingly, largely has gone on to not do much else. <laughs> oh, that's the, the cruel irony of that award. I know. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I feel like those awards are are terrible because inevitably the person who wins them never really uh, <laughs> continues to emerge. <laughs> How to do with the box office? Well, Shelton and company held fundraising parties, actually, and scraped together what they had to make this movie. All I could find, this is very tricky, but I, what I could find is that she said it cost less than $20,000. So just for my purposes, I'm going to use, like a car dealer, $19,999. That's what I'm going to say uh, it costs. That is uh, $23,800 in today's dollars. The movie premiered at Sundance 2009. As I said, it received that special jury prize for the Spirit of Independence. It did have a limited release July 10th, 20, or 2009, working as counter-programming to Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Bruno, and I Love You, Beth Cooper. This movie opened in spot 50, but it did take the weekend as far as per-screen averages are concerned, earning 22000 per screen. The movie went on to earn a healthy indie gross of 407000 domestically and 455000 internationally for a total gross in today's dollars of just over $1 million. That is a low number compared to many of the movies we've discussed over the years, but with such a low budget, it actually earned back 43 times its budget. And of course, the adjusted profit per finish minute was $10,700. Solid work for Shelton's breakout film. That's something to be proud of. Yeah. We know indie filmmakers, Andy. They would be proud of that kind of an APP film. <laughs> yes, they would. <laughs> Good movie. Uh, I'm glad we talked about it. I'm sure glad this was a starting point uh, for this series. And I'm excited to see where it goes from here. You want to take it to the mat? 
Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this fair show. If you swipe over in your show notes, tap the word flickchart. It will take you straight to the flickchart database where you can add it to your list and see how it stacks up against ours. First up, Hump Day or Underworld? <sighs> underworld. I'll say Underworld. Hump Day or Rabid? <laughs> Probably Rabid. Yeah, the interesting pairing, though, like yeah. an interesting early Cronenberg effort and what he was kind of saying about, like, you know, the viruses and and uh, everything. I'm I feel like I'm going to say rabbit also. Hump Day or Labor Day. Um, <laughs> we can start a new uh, series. I, what other days? <laughs> what other days? Throw into the mix. Um, I think I would do. Uh, hump day, probably. I will say hump day. Hump day or post-mortem? Post-mortem. I will say post-mortem. Hump day or the remake of the Thomas Crown Affair, 1999? Thomas Crown. I will say hump day. Really? Yeah. Mm. I I had a lot more issues with the remake than the original. Okay, let's do it. Okay, here we go. One. One. Two. Two. Three. Three. Scissors. Yeah. Hump day takes it. Hump day or volunteers. You know which way I'm going. I'll give you volunteers, Andy. All right, volunteers. Hump day or major league. Major league. Major league. Hump day or duck, you sucker. (laughs) I feel like we haven't haven't had that one come up against anything in a while. That's right. What do you think? I'll I'll pick uh, Sergio Leone. For sure. Duck you sucker for me. Yeah, me too. Hump Day or Star Trek Into Darkness? Into Darkness. Yeesh. I'll say Hump Day. Weird. That's a, that's a frustrating film. Yeah, I know. That didn't need that. to exist. Uh, <laughs> flashing lights and fun woo-woo sounds and lots of teleporting. I know it has all, all that. It does zipping through space. Past, there's so much zipping. Oh, Andy, yeah, there's so much zipping. Things, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm all about the zipping. Let's do it. All right, one, one two, two, three. three. Scissors. Rock. God dang it! <laughs> hump day takes it. That lands hump day in spot four twenty nine on our chart. Four twenty nine out of five oh nine. That's pretty low. It's only a sixteen percent. Sixteen percent. Andy. This it's low, but is you know it's it was low for me too. Uh, I'm really surprised at just how far and fast this one fell on my list. What did it do for yours? It didn't fall as fast as apparently it did on your own chart. Uh, it did okay for itself, you know. I mean, it's a it's a it's a I I liked the characters. I liked the way the story progressed. I still have a lot of issues with it. Landed in spot twenty twenty eight out of forty six thirty six. That put it at a fifty six percent on my chart. Man. Uh, I this just came with all easy choices. It landed at thirteen fifty one out of fifteen oh two. That's a ten on on my list. Yeah, ten percent. This according to the algorithm, I should head over to letterbox.com slash the next reel and make this a half star film. I that's an egregious misstarring. <laughs> um, I I didn't love the movie. It's a pretty middle of the road movie with some great high points. For me, this lands probably around two and a half stars. Okay. Uh, but I'll give it a heart. I think I'm a little higher than you, but not much. I think I'm at three stars and a heart. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm okay with that. I, I think that there is something here 
it's a pro a film that has its issues, but I enjoyed the way that they, that Lynn handled the characters. And so to that end, I'm definitely looking forward to kind of moving on with our series and kind of exploring more of her films. Me too. Uh, I, I really am. And I think she's, she's got something to say and you have to admit, I mean, this is a, a bold subject to make a movie yeah. about, right? Uh, yeah. I think it, it tackles uh, a real bloomin' onion of taboos uh, that that are hard for a lot of people to talk about and and to do it on screen. I think it's a brave movie, uh, and uh, it was it was an interesting and worthy watch. So I'm excited for what's next. And speaking of what's next, next week we're talking about her next film called Your Sister's Sister. This one has uh, Mark Duplass again, along with Emily Blunt and Rosemary DeWitt. I did. We met last night. I know it's crazy. How? What, why are you? What, how did? The, what are you doing here? You don't think she'd be upset if you told her we had sex? Why? Because she's your sister. Oh, I'm yeah. her best friend, and it's weird. Do you have a thing for my sister? I, I do not have a thing for your sister. Do you like Jack? I don't know. He seems like a nice guy. I think I'm in love with him. <laughs> You're right. It's um better. If she's in love. It's the first time I've seen you look really happy in a long time. I just feel like I should tell him. What's the matter? Why are you being so quiet? I have to tell you something. Why? Why did it have to be him? I really think your face is going to annoy me right now. My face always annoys you. Oh, fun. I You have not seen this one? I have not. I have not either, but this is one that I have heard that i should see how about that yeah. it's yeah, been recommended yeah. yeah uh thank you everybody for hanging out with us uh, this week and thank you to all of our members uh who have uh, decided to support us your uh, contributions go a long way toward helping us produce i mean we're producing right now with marvel movie minute the next real series of shows family of podcasts is uh producing a show a day every day all week long what? How did we get ourselves in? <laughs> a lot of content, a lot of movie chat, a lot of we movie sure chat. Do. Yeah, um, we you know we've got for members. We have our monthly member bonus episode this month. Uh, we just had the poll over in our uh, Discord group, and it's going to be a return to the Fritz Lang series. We're talking about the Big Heat, which uh, really shot to the top. So I'm excited to talk about that one. Um, so far, we've also talked about Gone Girl, The Russia House, Equilibrium, Ivanhoe, Tenet, The Hot Rock, Thelma and Louise, and Dolomite is my name as other member bonus episodes. So I mean, yeah, there's a lot of extra content right now for for members who are uh, subscribing and that's just this show the film board uh, also has member bonus episodes if you're a member at the two reeler level you get to vote on our member bonus episodes every month so uh, definitely get in there one reeler members get to vote on the saturday matinee polls that we do every week based on this movie the one that we just talked about you'll get to vote on the poll to talk about what list uh list topic we're going to be discussing so it's fun that's right don't forget to do all you know all the stuff that you are supposed to do with podcasts rate review subscribe and uh, listen truly listen but perhaps most important and something we don't say often enough around these parts please share let movie lovers in your life know about our show it's the really the best way uh, that we have to get more people listening to the show it's you and and we truly appreciate your contribution to that effort thanks everybody when the movie ends, the conversation begins. 
Oh, we didn't even talk about the festival. <laughs> yeah. Dan Savage's Hump Film Festival. I wanted to read you the titles from their Greatest Hits Volume 3, which is coming out. Let's let's do that. Wild Lovers, You've Got Tail, Desert Pussy, <laughs> Birthday Boss, Edged, The Dream of the Fisherman's Wife, Cockapult, Paint Party, <laughs> The Collector, Double O Sexy, Taskmaster, Luminous Lust, Breakfast in Bed, My Cathartic Release, Milking Honeys, Mythical Proportions, Please, It Kind of Feels Like, The Wheel of Fortune, and Trough Man. <laughs> oh, man. You had me at Trough Man. <laughs> okay we'll put a link to dan savage's hump film festival in case you're interested in the show notes uh letterbox give it andy while we're at it as letterbox always do it um okay i went low the well is deep at the low end of the (laughs) reviews on letterbox.com and i just Okay, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a bonus too. So first, Travis brings us a half star movie. What kind of dumb straight boy nonsense is this? Surely there's a hundred better ways to adapt the quote, people trying to do something they actively don't want to do, end quote, idea than having two straight men try to make a gay sex tape. This was offensively stupid, and I do not like Martu Blass at all. <laughs> But the, I think I think actually John, with his one star review, uh, actually puts it best: an hour and a half of two straight guys playing gay chicken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. yes. What do you got? <laughs> Love it. Um, I've got a couple. The first one's by Austin Gorski, who gave it four stars and says, "Sometimes you got to laugh at the insanity that is life." R.I.P. Lynn Shelton, which is yes. uh, I like that one. And the second one is a three star by Ella Kemp, who said. Guys had never been dudes before this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's funny. And I also don't think I know what it means. (laughs) I don't think we're supposed to. Uh, Thanks, Letterboxd. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>